Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Welcome back to the show, Up Nexters. It's Gabrielle, and this week we are talking about some real issues as they affect our generation and freedom of religion in the United States. This week, I am really excited to be having a special guest on, Carrie Kupak, who is the Legal Communications Director at Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is an incredible organization that's based in Washington, D.C., who is working on behalf of the faith community, working on behalf of families, working on behalf of the next generation to create a freer world and, and to protect those civil liberties that have been guaranteed. So, Carrie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, great to be with you, Gabrielle. So as we are now in the middle of Trump's first 100 days, many of the, the topics of conversation for the faith community comes into question of what kind of presidency are we going to be able to expect from Donald Trump? The faith community was really empowered, I think, with his nomination of the Supreme Court justice. And now we're moving into, into having conversations about real issues. But what do you want to see President Trump accomplish when it comes to religious freedom? So when President Trump was campaigning, a lot of people don't know that he actually said that making the protection of religious liberty would be his, quote, first priority. So as a lawyer and communications director for Alliance Defending Freedom, which is the largest nonprofit legal advocacy organization in the world that advocates for the rights of people to freely live out their faith, we are closely watching and waiting with anticipation for President Trump to make good on that promise. We have seen the government take unprecedented action against creative professionals and artists who are, are just trying to live peacefully and create consistently with their convictions. And we are seeing people like that being driven out of the marketplace and being ruined by the government, both personally and professionally. So that's just one of the issues that we're looking at. And as you saw, I'm sure, Gabrielle, a couple of weeks ago, there was a leaked draft of a religious liberty executive order that came out. So what do you want that executive order to include? Because we've we've heard kind of murmurings ever since Donald Trump took office and, and we've seen him push forward and... and and talk about the Johnson Amendment and repealing that. And so there's been conversations um, about some tangible religious liberty reform. But what does that look like for you? Uh, it looks, uh, there are a few things. So for starters, the Johnson Amendment, definitely a great place to start. The church uh, should not be policed by the IRS when it comes to what they speak about from the pulpit. And if you look at the history of the Johnson Amendment, this had nothing to do with religious freedom or religion at all in the first place. It was actually a political thing. Um, and so that's fascinating history right there. So I think the IRS should get out of the business of being the speech police of pastors and churches. So I would love to see Congress pass the Free Speech Fairness Act, which would fix the Johnson Amendment, restore back to pastors their First Amendment right to speak freely. And President Trump has made very clear that he would support uh, passage or he would support uh, a law like that. So that would be a good place to start. A second thing I'd like to see is protection for federal employees, federal contractors, recipients of federal money, that their viewpoints on marriage to be protected. Uh, obviously, Islam, Judaism, Christianity teaches marriage as a man-woman union. This is a belief shared and held by 
the majority of the world, and it's been held across race, time, and culture. But we're seeing unprecedented attacks uh, by people in state government, and we've seen even on the federal government, against those who simply just hold the belief that many other people hold. So I'd love to see some protection for people, regardless of what their belief is about marriage, whether they believe it's between a man, a man and a woman, or if they believe it's not. Uh, people's beliefs on marriage shouldn't determine uh, if they, whether or not they get to be part of the marketplace and be part of the discussion. So that's another thing I'd like to see. Yeah, that's, it's so important. And I think that the faith community is really taking a huge sigh of relief now with, uh, with a now President Trump, who I, I think for the most part has really surprised many people who supported him and many people who did not support him, that he is uh, making good on many of the promises that he, that he made while he was on, on the campaign trail. But I think it, we're living in incredibly interesting times and definitely a very divided uh, situation out there, particularly when it comes to millennials. Now, I was just watching Tucker Carlson the other night, and he had this student on from Michigan State University where they were actually banning whiteboards from inside of dormitories because people were using whiteboards to write derogatory terms or phrases. But for whatever reason, the student unit had come out and said, we can no longer have whiteboards because we're afraid of offending people. How ridiculous is that? Yeah, so much for tolerance. And I think that's what I'm getting increasingly concerned about, especially in my position at ADF. Uh, in a truly culturally diverse and pluralistic society, tolerance should be a two-way street, not a place where dissent is stifled or just simply an opposing view is muffled. And that's what we're seeing so much. In fact, at ADF, we have a Center for Academic Freedom where we litigate a lot of free speech ca uh, cases on campus. We're actually currently representing Ben Shapiro, the very popular radio host out from the, the West Coast, right? And he was almost driven out of his speaking engagement out in California. And the students who were involved uh, faced a lot of threats. They even faced the danger to themselves simply for having this conservative speaker on campus. And this is at a public school, and a public school can't violate the First Amendment in that way. That's that's very uh, basic constitutional law 101. And um, so I, I don't understand why we have this anti-free speech sentiment that seems to be permeating campuses throughout the country. It's not good. Yeah, it's in. It's not only not good; it's just completely illogical, and and I think that that's so much of the the reaction of our generation, who has, as millennials, been told it it matters more what you feel about something than what you think about it or what you know about it. Right. And I think that we're starting to see that, especially as millennials are moving into the workforce, we're having families, we're moving on with our lives, and I think that this is the largest challenge that we're facing with our generation is is this sense of entitlement, not necessarily thinking through on the issues. I travel a lot. I know you travel a lot. And, and when this, you know, quote unquote travel ban, when we hit the pause button and bringing in people from, uh, from certain countries, which we all on our side of it know that President Obama did the exact same thing or something similar to it. Uh, I was on, on airports and there were protests at every single airport from the West Coast to the East Coast during that week. And it was really shocking to me. And I'm just kind of crazy enough to walk up and have conversations with some of the individuals who are there. And, and there were no 
there, there was no clarity about why they were there. They're like, this is the land of opportunity and, and we need to be bringing in people and we need to be helping. And, and we just last week had Jay Richards, who's the executive editor of the stream on the show. And we talked about this refugee component about what do we as Christians do? Because you want to be compassionate, right. but you also have to not only uh, protect those that are here, but you have to stand up for truth and justice and righteousness. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a tough situation. It's very sensitive. Obviously, I think most people's hearts break for refugees when you look at what's happening in Syria and you see what's happening with ISIS. It's just, it's a terrible situation. And we are very blessed and prosperous in this country. We are a melting pot. That's who we are, right? So we want to do everything in our power to protect people and, and be a safe haven for those people. But at the same time, balancing very serious national security threats and, and concerns. And so I, frankly, I don't envy President Trump. I don't envy anyone who is in the position to have to make those calls because they require a lot of wisdom and a lot of savvy, but their priority is protecting the American people and they're doing what they can do to do that. Yeah. I already, already said it from my standpoint, but I'm curious to hear from you, Carrie, what do you think is the biggest challenge our generation is going to face regarding religious freedom? I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding what religious freedom is or why it's even important. Um, I think when we say religious freedom, people say, oh, religion, oh, I don't like that. Oh, people use religion as a license to discriminate. Oh, people use religion as a reason to do bad things. When in fact, if you look around us, if you look in our communities, our communities, our neighborhoods, our cities, it's more often than not the faith-based charities and organizations and groups that are doing the most good for our communities. They are the ones running the battered women's shelters. They are the ones running the homeless shelters. They are the ones who are providing uh, a place for at-risk youth to come and be safe and have a good time. They are providing the father figures for those who don't have fathers. In fact, there was a recent study, Gabrielle, that came out mm, a few months ago. I think it was done by a couple of Georgetown professors, and they they did a study on what the value is of the goods and services provided to the United States by faith-based organizations. And they valued it at one, over $1 trillion annually. And I like to say to people, look, even if you don't care about religion, I bet you care about the economy. I bet you care about jobs. So look at this. Look at all the good religious organizations are doing and what people are not making the connection to, especially I think the younger generation and the millennials, is that if you attack the very drive and reason to uh, um, that motivates people of faith to do what they do, you undermine the, their entire um, organization. You call into question their ability to proceed. In, in many instances, as we've seen with the government's attack against faith-based organizations during the Obama years, uh, they were at risk of being driven out of the marketplace altogether. And these are the people who are providing the... the um, just the things that the most vulnerable among us in our communities need. Now, we've had individuals on the show who've been very involved in the transgender bathroom bill issue from Washington, from California, um, here on the East Coast as well. And uh, it's been an absolutely surreal ride <laughs> where it that is. we're now like, this is a, a conversation that we're, we're having. This isn't a joke. This is not a drill. This isn't a reality TV show. And, uh, I remember working in the California state legislature when the first bathroom bill came up about seven years ago. And we all looked at each other and rolled our eyes and said, this is never going to become a law. 
And here we are. Now, with Trump now coming out and essentially saying we need to be letting at least the states decide and where people can then, and so we can localize this conversation as much as possible and put it down to the school districts, how involved is ADF in in talking about this issue and providing resources for Christian leaders to be able to communicate with um, with compassion, but also to with the right skill set. We are very involved. In fact, ADF filed the first lawsuit of its kind um, last year on behalf of over a hundred students and parents in a school district outside of Chicago, where the school there had caved to the bullying of the Obama administration's Department of Education and Department of Justice, and they had opened up uh, the locker room and shower room and restrooms to a boy identifying as a girl. Now, what's interesting here is that school had made numerous accommodations for this boy identifying as a girl, this transgender student. And they had allowed the student access to a private changing room within the nurse's facility. They then went so far as to create the student a custom locker room and let this boy invite his female classmates in with him. But ultimately the school opened up the locker room and now uh, we are representing these students who understandably feel like their privacy has been violated. And Gabrielle, what's concerned me the most as I've seen what's happened in our news um, with the rescission of the transgender student guidance is that the media is not giving any coverage at all to the many, many students across this country, particularly high school girls, who understandably feel uncomfortable about the prospect of undressing in front of the opposite biological sex. These are very real feelings. They are very understandable feelings. And if we're going to listen to Gavin Grimm and transgender students, which we should, we should also listen to the other students around them. And I'm concerned about the message the media is sending to these students because they are essentially saying your voice and your concerns don't matter. And that's not right. Yeah. It's, and I think you made a brilliant point earlier where you said tolerance goes both ways. Right. It has to. It has to uh, look like those of us who may not agree or may not understand uh, to, to reach out and to show empathy and compassion towards others that we may not agree with. But it goes the other way as well. And I, I got kind of caught in the midst of the traffic. We both live in the D.C. area during the Women's March. And, and I was down there for a series of meetings, which uh, ended up being really productive. I was working with some millennial leaders from all different sides of the aisle. Many of them actually came from the march to talk about what does the future of America look like for our generation. But in the midst of this, you know, crazy march, I, I saw I saw faces of people that they look like like they were my friends, like people that I knew. Yes, there were some people that you know were were, you know, admittedly a little strange, but for the most part, it was shocking to me how many women in particular came out talking about women's rights and, and protecting women. But so many women are falling silent on the very concern that you're talking about. Yeah, they are. And uh, we have a female student in that, that first lawsuit that I mentioned, who actually went to the school board and it was not just this student, but another, another bunch of female students who expressed affection for this transgender classmate of theirs. They expressed compassion, but they said, look, we're uncomfortable. We're still developing physically. Right. Uh, we don't feel like we should have to take our clothes off in front of our biologically boy classmate there. in at, at that, in that particular school district, there's a swim team. So they're putting their bathing suits off and on getting into the pool. And this is somewhat traumatic for them. And yes, uh, that's why I'm floored that more women aren't speaking out. But I will tell you this, in the Gloucester Supreme Court case, uh, which is a case that may still be going forward despite the rescission of the guidance that centers around this entire issue, 
there is an amicus brief that's very interesting, filed by the Women's Liberation Front, which is a feminist organization. And they are saying, look, we've made a lot of progress as women. Uh, this is this is not good. This is not good for women. It's stripping away women's rights to be women. And so, yeah, we've seen a, a couple of um, a number of actually feminist groups come out and taking more strong stances on this because they see what's happening. They're looking at Title IX, which was created in the early 1970s to give women a fair shake, to give them equal access uh, like their male counterparts had to educational facilities and opportunities. And now they're seeing the same law that was designed to protect and help women used against women in these particular situations. And one thing I really appreciate about ADF is that you guys are really on the forefront of the legal battle when things get to a point where where you're actually bringing things to, to court. But you're also doing a lot in educating uh, leaders and educating students, educating pastors about what rights they actually have. So what are some of the resources that you encourage, particularly our millennial listeners, to check out if they're unsure or uncomfortable with what's talking about religious freedom. They can certainly go to adflegal.org. We have a very good blog that gets a lot of traction where every, all of the news of the day is essentially fleshed out and explains in easy to understand ways. Another good resource is adfmedia.org. That's a place that you can go to just get all the legal documents. So you can read the complaints and the lawsuits for yourself, for uh, oneself if they want. And I just think it's important to remember that again, religious freedom, civil liberties travel together. These liberties and rights are all entangled. This was our first freedom. And there's a reason for that. If we, people are not allowed to exercise their faith, really exercise the core of who they are peacefully, what else will they not be able to do? Uh, it's right. It's, it's tied to speech, association. Uh, the other liberties crumble around it. And that's why it's important that we really do all that we can to preserve religious freedom for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did a a beautiful way of describing how core and fundamental religious liberty really is. It's at our, our, our foundation. It's a part of our identity. It's a part of our past and it's got to be a part of our future. And so I'm really excited that uh, you are with ADF, that we have such a great organization and a, and a partner who can go forth and communicate with uh, with such clarity and with such skills to be able to, to really do great things. So Carrie Kubek from Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck with the fight. Thank you.